Hello and a very warm welcome to the State of Our Nation, a podcast by Access Social Care. I'm your host, Carrie Gersteimer, and today we're going to be talking to experts, leaders and changemakers about all things adult social care. We will all need social care at some point in our lives and at Access Social Care, our aim is to ensure that people get the support they have a right to. So listen along to find out more about the state of our nation as we discuss the challenges facing millions of people in need of social care across the country. Welcome to the State of Our Nation podcast. I'm really delighted to have Kirsty Jones on our podcast this month. Um, Kirsty is the Group People Director at Salutum Care. Now, just as a point of interest, Salutum are quite a new social care providing organisation that set up in 2017 and took over all of, if I, I believe, um, Scopes services in 2018. So, Kirsty, a big warm welcome to the State of Our Nation podcast. It's brilliant to have you on today. And perhaps you could um, tell us a little bit about yourself just to get us going before we go on to our main subject matter today, which is to look at the workforce crisis from a slightly different angle. So we have looked at the workforce crisis and and talked about the problems. We would like to present some of the solutions that are coming out of the sector on this podcast this month. So welcome, Kirsty. Let's tell me a little bit about how you came to be the Group People Director at Salutum. Thanks, Carrie. Delighted to be asked to come along. Um, So I left school when I was 16 and had no idea what I was going to do, didn't go to uni, had no clue and fell into an HR job. And because I'm a little bit nosy, found quite like this. So I've stayed in HR. So worked in the city of London, wasn't in care, left to go and bring up the children Met my husband who has a traumatic brain injury. So had a bit of an insight into what it's like uh, for people with hidden disabilities. Decided back in 2009, I think it was, um, that I wanted to pick up my career again, happened to have found a job in a care organization and then found my home and found that I can do HR and I, and, and it, you know, it matters to me what we do and how we support people because I know what it's like to be someone that's living with or living with somebody with a hidden disability. So had various care HR roles in care organizations dotted about a bit and then came to Salutum when we founded in 2017. So we started in April. I joined in the October that year and we have grown by acquisition. So we had three um, companies that we put together and then at, you're right in 2018 we took on the services all the uh, services that were run by the charity scope and they've joined the salute and family so um under my remit i look after payroll i look after the operational hr recruitment learning development and also marketing which sometimes needs a bit of explaining because that doesn't normally sit in the hr space but actually our biggest market out there is to get people to come and work in this amazing industry so that's who i am and that's how i got here Excellent. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that introduction, Kirsty. And it's so often the way, isn't it, that people come into social care because of a lived experience. And really, thank you for sharing um, that with us and with our listeners. Um, really, really interesting to hear about your journey. So um, to give our listeners some context then to the scale of the staffing crisis in England, in the past year, over 50,000 care workers are said to have left the profession. And when we spoke to Una Smith from Skills for Care in a podcast earlier this year, she spoke about an absolutely staggering 160,000 vacancies across the sector. 
So, Kirsty, what effects have you and your team at Salutum seen across the sector as a result of the workforce crisis? Uh, we've, we've seen an increased reliance on agency usage, which isn't good for quality of care or support. You know, we, there are some emergency agency workers out there, but we want our own workforce looking at, you know, I can't imagine what it's like when you wake up in the morning and it might be someone that you've not met before that's coming to support you. Um, so there's been a huge reliance on agency um, usage. I think the, the workforce are... They're a bit burnt out that, you know, the COVID crisis, it's it's sort of been moved, moving on from that. It's a new world. So I think people are a bit burnt out. Um, they feel a bit forgotten, I think, as a workforce. I think that we talk, we've gone back to talking about the NHS predominantly and not about social care. That narrative needs to change. Um, and I think we've seen our, our turnover. Actually, I suppose I, I'm, I'm coming from it from a slightly different stance because the positive that we've seen because of what we've introduced, our, our turnover is actually reducing. So we saw a huge spike last year in our turnover of staff going up into the 30, 32%. We're actually now coming down really nicely. We're sitting at about 27%, uh, which across the sector is quite unusual at the minute. Um, so we've seen a massive spike. We've seen we've seen people getting tired, sickness levels increasing, stress levels. The, the focus on health and well-being has to has to be more there and prevalent as an employer. We've seen people. I think it was an effect of the pandemic that we that people would normally turn to their family for support around your mental health and your well-being, and actually, because of the pandemic and your workplace, particularly in care, became your family they're turning more towards the employer. So there's a real, a much heavier reliance on the employer to support people. So there's been that massive shift for me across the sector. So, so you've touched on one of the reasons there, Kirsty, that you think that people are, are struggling to stay in social care as, um, as care workers. Do, are there any other reasons that you, you think that care workers are making that really difficult choice to leave the, the sector? I think one of them was pay. I think, you know, when you can earn more stacking shelves in Aldi, I, I get it. There's an economic crisis across country and, you know, it's putting food on the table, isn't it? So I, I kind of get that. I think it is it, people that we, we've got a manager, for an example, we've got a manager who's gone to run a fish and chip shop because she just had had enough of everything. And it had been full on for that the whole pandemic. So she... I think people will come back because I don't think, and I think, you know, when we talk about the our um, knowledge and skills framework, people will come back because actually it's not just about the money if you work in care, but it's about your values and how you and, and how you get fulfilled. And we'll go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's not all about the money, but I do think money came into it. I think people, um, I think people do feel a bit forgotten, though, you know, during the pandemic, People wore those care badges. The NHS, you know, social care minister wore his badge. They're not wearing it anymore. Um, so I think that's probably money being a bit forgotten and burnt out, I think, is probably why people are leaving. Thanks, Kirsty. So um, let's get on to this million dollar question <laughs> then. You've, you've hinted there um, <laughs> in some of those past answers that you you've, you seem to have, um, things have turned a corner for you at Salutem. So I'm really curious then to hear, Kirsty, about what you think can be done to help retain staff. Um, so can you can you tell us a little bit more about what Salutum has introduced to address the problem? Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2018, we, we sat down as a, an exec and what were we going to be as an organisation? Were we going to be a minimum wage employer or did we want to be something more? And we've we have um 
delighted to say, got our pay rates above minimum wage. So we are now above minimum wage. But actually, is that enough? Um, and is a flat rate for everybody enough? I don't think it is. And I think I think we can learn something from the NHS about their skills framework. You know, the white paper that talks about it for social care to have a competency skills framework. So we introduced our competency skills framework. It's based across three pillars. It's based around our values leadership skills because actually whatever role you're doing there's leadership in there and about your skill set so you can very clearly see your career pathway and I'm passionate about care being a place that you can really develop a career so you can see your career pathway in terms of pay and also but what skill set do you need if I'm a support worker how do I get to be a senior how do I get to be a team leader deputy manager but also I'm a support worker and I love doing what I do, but how do I get paid a bit more and how do I get recognized for that skill level that I've got? So our pay scales and our competency framework do both things. There is a really clear pathway through a pay scale. So if I, there's an entry level pay scale, but actually I've got this qualification, I've done this training. How am I rewarded for that? So you can be rewarded within your current job, but you can also really clearly see how do I do that pathway? How do I get from here to here? So it does both things and it answers all sets of questions for every kind of employee, actually. Um, and it's, it's, it's clear, it's open, it's transparent, and everybody knows where they stand within it. So, you, you, you know, you get assessed by your manager and that tool that we use isn't a dead document. So I hate appraisals. Um, it's a very unfashionable thing to say in HR, but I don't like them. This replaces that and becomes your, I think, every single individual we support gets a care plan. So why can't every single person that works for us have a personal development plan? And this is the foundation of that. So that's where we're going. And that's what we introduced. Fantastic. So it's not just about increasing pay. It's about really linking that to competencies. So can you tell us then some of the benefits and successes that you've seen as a result of that competency framework? Absolutely. So um, engagement is going up. Um, our exit interviews used to talk about career progression and training. They don't talk about that now. Pay is still in there and other bits and pieces are in there. We've seen some fantastic career progression, internal succession. It's just like, oh, it makes me sing. Um, so we've got a lady who worked in one of our children's services. She was a support worker. She became a senior. She's now the deputy manager. And she did that using those competency framework. We've seen turnover I mean reduce at this time when there's a workforce crisis for us and I mean makes me happy because people are happy they could, it's really clear what we're about how we're going to reward you and how we're going to help you with your career so we've seen huge changes in the in the way that the workforce are reacting to it and it's a live document so managers are using it in supervisions they're sitting down and I am determined that every single person that works for us and comes and joins and we call ourselves a family and some people say it's a cliche but it isn't um, if you join the social care family they look our arms around you and we're going to do that and help you with your career and we'll sit down with you and this framework gives you that opportunity so I, it's we've seen a wonderful things and the turnover for me oh, fantastic <laughs> Oh, well, really heartwarming to hear about that, Kirsty. And so I'm, I'm curious then, the government has obviously committed in the 2021 Adult Social Care Reform White Paper to investment in developing a knowledge and skills framework equivalent to the NHS. It sounds like you've already done it. So could that salute model be the answer? Is it a long-term solution to the workforce crisis across the sector? Are you planning on sharing it? I'm sure that our listeners will be um, really excited to hear more. I'd loved, I think it is the answer. I think, you know, I'm not going to tell 
supplies. I did nick a bit of it from the NHS. You know, they they do it really well. So why wouldn't you? Um, my head of L&D, she's a, we've worked together on it for, for years. We've really honed it. I think it is the answer. I'd love to be part of that conversation with the government. Come and have a look at what we're doing. I'd love to share it. I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm really passionate about, actually, I went to the Care England conference and there was a presentation there by the CEO of Priory to, who talked about sharing, sharing our knowledge. Let's share it because actually we're all wanting a skilled workforce. This this is one of the most skilled workforces I've ever worked within. And I've worked in the city, I've worked in all sorts of places. And we should share how we can support it, improve it, give people real quality about careers. And so I'd love to share it wider. I've, I'm actually going on a call this afternoon with a couple of other HR directors who are of the same mind. HR people don't often share stuff, but I think we should. Um, and I'd be happy to share this. So, and if the government wants to talk to me, oh, I'd be up for that. Sounds like an offer, listeners. Um, <laughs> excellent. Well, listen, Kirsty, just before we close then with our chat today, um, I always ask our the people that come onto the podcast one question, and that is to improve the state of our nation. What one thing do you think would be the biggest game changer for the social care se- sector? Change the narrative. This is a skilled workforce. If you watch the individuals that that work for us, with the individuals we support and see people living lives that are amazing, that skill, change the narrative. We are just as skilled as the NHS and that narrative, change that and we and we open up. It's, it's I'm going to say a bit more, sorry. Um, it's the one industry, I think, that if you want one, you can have a career for life and a proper career to change that narrative. We're skilled and you should come and work for us. Powerful words there. Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thanks, Carrie. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Excellent. And I, I'm I'm sure that there'll be people getting in touch to hear all about your model. So thank you. Thanks ever so much. We appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Keep listening as I will now be chatting to another inspiring guest about their work or experience within the adult social care sector, asking how and why we need to see changes in the system. So welcome to the podcast, Christoph. It's really lovely to have you on today. We're talking about the social care workforce crisis and how we can make care work more attractive to staff, given where we are with 165,000 vacancies across the sector. Thank you so much for joining us, Christoph Marr from Marr Procurement. And perhaps you could give us a bit of an introduction to yourself to get us started. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on, Carrie. That's very good of you. Um, so yes, Christoph Ma, I am the uh, founder and managing director of Ma Procurement, and we specialise in social care procurement. So we work with um, 56 care providers across the UK, um, have done for the last eight years, and we source everything from temporary labour to energy, insurance, food, cleaning consumables and what have you. Um, that's what we do. So our job is to cut operating costs for social care providers. And how did you get into that, Christoph? What what brought you to social care? That's a great question, Carrie. I spent seven years as the group procurement director for a large social care and healthcare organisation, Care UK, and I, I quite often wanted to bring in some short term procurement support and struggled to find an organisation that was really completely knowledgeable about social care and there are some idiosyncrasies about social care and healthcare was kind of fun to work with, had a sensible commercial model, but above all were values driven. 
And I really wanted that values piece. So I set the business up eight years ago um, as a values-led business. Um, and that's really important to me um, that, that we also kind of felt that there was there had to be a better way of running a business uh, based on fairness, based on equality, based on trust and doing all the right things. And we've had a fantastic journey since. Excellent. Well, great to hear about that. Thank you, Christoph. So earlier in this episode, we spoke with Kirsty Jones from Salutum Care about the effect the staffing crisis is having on the sector, um, but also the NHS style competency framework that they've implemented to help increase retention. So we've chatted in the past about some of the things that Marm Procurement has been doing to really try and shift the dial on retention. And I, that's the reason I've invited you on. I thought it would be really nice to share that through the podcast. So it'd be, it'd be nice to get some ideas from you then. Can we start, though, with um, hearing a little bit about what you see as the key causes of the sector's crisis with recruitment and staffing? So I think to answer the question, Harry, I think we need to go back to early 2020, and we all know what happened early 2020. The the COVID crisis was a trigger point for changing, I think, um, how staffing um, occurred, was managed, uh, was forecast, was delivered in the sector. And if you can just to cast your mind back to what happened, for example, for residential care providers and social care during 2020, um, we had the horrific occupancy gap um, with residential care providers. And in turn, what happened was it, it meant there was less of a requirement for contingent labour, so temporary labour agencies. It was also a period which was extremely difficult for, I think, even the most hardened and experienced care workers. It, it was a properly difficult, difficult time. And, and I think what happened as we went through 2020, um, there became a much, I guess, more difficult environment in which to work. Then we started to get into the lockdown scenarios as we were moving through 2020 and got to 2021. And there were some restrictive guidances, uh, uh, restrictive guidance by the Department of Health and Social Care, and, and rightly, um, and it was only advisory, not, not uh, legislative, which I think was the right move. But again, that made it more challenging for contingent care workers to work in in the sector as well. We also had Brexit, and Brexit was a significant driver for a change in the availability of care workers in the UK, both in terms of perms, so permanent staff and contingent labour. So we shouldn't underestimate what happened with Brexit and the impact that that made on the number of care workers available in the sector to, to work. We also shouldn't underestimate uh, it's a difficult job. It was a difficult job before COVID. It's a difficult job today to be a care worker. It's also not the best paid job. It's a a difficult job to do. And suddenly when you get into 2021, so we're starting to work our way through the horrific crisis, we started to see the opening up of what we might call the non-essential sectors like online uh, retail, hospitality, entertainment, and when that happened, it started to open up a demand for more resource in some of those sectors. And then suddenly there was an opportunity for care workers to work in a different sector um, for a bit more pay, but quite often for a bit more flexibility as well, and perhaps for what's an easier job in some cases. And I think what we saw was an additional drain over and above Brexit of brilliant care workers who, who, who felt they wanted something slightly different and some of those other sectors offered that. And I think what happened then was 
we saw the demand for contingent labor start to increase quite significantly. So why did we see that increase? And this is a real shift in terms of the mix of, and I think a key driver for a, a big part of the workforce crisis that we have today was this shift towards contingent labor. So um, what a number of care workers were saying was we want to earn a bit more money and we want a bit more flexibility. Um, and I think we saw consumption of temp agency uh, literally go through the roof. So we operate on behalf of a large number of care providers and we saw the consumption of temporary labor agency spend over a 14 month period up to around summer last year, anything from doubling, trebling, even quadrupling. And I think that's now an, an epidemic. That's a real problem that we have today trying to now deal with the issue that we've got, which is significant and I've never seen it so high the consumption of contingent labor in the UK in social care for particularly care workers. And, and I've, I've only been in the sector since 2008. Uh, so in relative terms, not very long, but I've never seen it this bad. Um, we have a real issue. So I think if you if, if you come back and recap, what's, what's the driver for some of the issues we have today? You've got the Brexit, you've got a difficult job. Um, care worker rules don't pay a lot. You've got restrictive movement that, that didn't make it particularly easy to work in during the difficult times. Um, I think also you've got these competing sectors. So there's a number of drivers for it of what I think has driven the, the contingent labor demand. But I think what, what a lot of social care organizations realized during the crisis was that they wanted to increase and improve how they were addressing the real solution uh, or a part of the real solution, which is permanent recruitment. And, and I, what we have seen, especially in the last 12 months, is a number of social care providers really ramping up how they address permanent recruitment. And if we can get permanent recruitment right and retention right, actually, those are the two critical ways to reduce the, the high consumption of, of contingent labour. So, of course, one, once you're looking at that contingent um, labour or, or agency costs, we know that it's really expensive. Um, to have agency staff in, but we also know that there's a real concern with quality because if you're trying to provide a service to individuals in a care setting, having that continuity and having the same staff in, there's a real issue with dignity, isn't there? And and of course, the, the, the quality of the support that people are receiving relies on knowledge of the individual that you're that you're working with. And the, the problem with, with agency staff, of course, is that you it's constantly changing and you're constantly having to explain how to support a person and what their what their personal needs are in relation to how they want to be cared for. Yeah, that, yeah I think there are a number of uh, implications um, of having a higher proportion of temporary agency staff. I think, and, and they range from continuity of care. Um, and continuity of care is really important. We'll come back to that. Quality of care. Um, for the reasons you've just mentioned, but also cost. There's a significant cost when you're bringing in temporary labor agency into an organization. But if you take the continuity of care, that's a really important point. So we have some clients um, who provide services for those with autism, and in some cases, quite serious autism. Um, you, you can imagine, you, you can't simply swap out a care worker who might be dedicated to somebody who, who has autism. You can't simply swap that person out and then just swap someone else in. That's, that, that's a significant life change for the resident, for the service user. So, so yeah, I think you've got 
a number of challenges with the use of temporary labor agency, not just the quality of care, the continuity of care and the cost, but we also shouldn't underestimate that in some care settings, it can be demotivating for permanent staff if they see a large number of temporary labor agency staff coming in and working in the same the same area, the same shifts. So I, I think there are some clear downsides. There are, however, I guess some key upsides we do need to recognize as well to be completely balanced. The concept of temporary labor agencies is, a, is not a bad concept. It's, it's designed to cope with those moments in time operationally where there's an urgent need for support, an urgent need for staff. And there are some very good agencies out there that provide very good terms to deliver that service. So it, it, it is something that's here to stay. Um, I think the what's happened over the years is I think for some care providers it's become quite habitual. So it's become the norm. Um, and I think that's where we are now, which is a, a, a significant problem for certainly, um, if not all, um, the vast majority of our clients. So let's dig in then to a little bit more of a solution, Christoph. Um, I know that you've been doing some work at Mark Procurement. Can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about that work and how you've been really trying to solve these some of these really tricky problems without compromising on quality? Yeah, no problem. So we normally split at, at this point in the, in the conversation, what we normally do is we split up the conversation into what we call demand side and supply side. So demand side are the operational changes that you can make in a social care organization to reduce the consumption and reduce the reliance on temporary labor agencies. Supply side is about reducing the cost per hour of the agencies. So demand side is about cutting the hours and supply side is about cutting the cost of the hour. So I guess the most important message is the most successful programs, and we have now completed 36 of these for social care organizations um, totaling around 400 million pounds of spend. So we've done quite a lot of it. The most successful programs combine the demand side with the supply side, cutting the hours, cutting the cost of the hour. And if you can get both of those two things right, you stand a significant chance of success. If you're just attacking one of those in isolation of the other, you don't see anything like the same kind of results. So let's focus on supply side for a minute um, to, to answer your question, and then we can come on to demand side. Supply side really is about addressing three things. So we're talking now about a social care organization that has the use of temporary labor agencies, and they will either have um, a number of direct relationships with agencies. We call it a proliferated model, um, or they might already have an organization in place that are helping them to find temporary staff. And typically they take the form of either a master vendor or a neutral vendor. A master vendor typically is a very large agency. A neutral vendor really is a separate standalone organization uh, with no financial involvement or financial interest in the agency supply base. So you've got three models, really. Um, There's a fourth model, but it's quite rare, which is where you might have an organization. And there are a couple out there who are doing this, um, which actually manages everything themselves and, and don't use an external party, but it's very rare. So... What we then find is any one of these models, the three things that we need to get right are number one, fulfillment. So we need to have a a way to ensure that the hiring person, the hiring manager in a care um, 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 operation has someone they can talk to to find and get hold of the right temp at the right time 
with the right skill set, the right training uh, from the right agency. So this fulfillment is the first thing. The second thing is um, social care providers need somebody who's going to manage that supply base of agencies. And for many social care organizations, they have a lot of agencies. So managing that supply base, auditing the supply base, ensuring that supply base all, sta- all sign up to standard contracts is critically important. It helps to provide real control over what can be significant levels of spend. So the second area is the supply base of agencies. And then the third area that we really need to make this equation work um, in terms of supply side is about having an automated system, so an online timesheet system, so that the hiring manager can actually place the requirement for a temp for an hour, for a day, for three days, for a week, whatever it is, through a system. And that's really important because that system then gives you the ability um, to extract management information, which helps you understand where you're spending your money and why and on what, so that you can really pinpoint how you can then reduce it. So supplies of what we do with clients is we work with them to deliver that solution, how you get fulfillment, how you get the online timesheet system, and how you manage that agency supply base. So indirectly, so not directly, we work with just over four and a half thousand agencies through a number of third parties, could be master vendors or neutral vendors. And we know who the good ones are, the ones that perform. Um, and we help our clients by working out what's the right fit for them, which model is the right one and which partner do they need. And then we stay with them through the whole relationship to make sure it all works. And, and that's principally what we do in terms of supply side. And that in turn, the benefit of that is it starts to take the cost per hour down. Now, the critical thing to get right when we're taking that cost per hour down is that we must not impact what the care worker gets. So the best way to start to destroy quality in all of this this discussion is by taking money from the care worker. That must not happen. So the one piece of the, the equation which we've got to protect throughout this program is what the care worker gets paid. That's terribly important. And tell me a little bit more then about the demand side, Christoph. I was really fascinated to hear more about this. Okay, so I think, so coming back to the, I guess, the solution. The solution is your supply side, we've talked about, and demand side. So what do we mean by demand side? Demand side is about finding a way to reduce the hours of agency. So this is the real prize. This is what leads to better continuity of care, uh, lower costs. Um, I think higher levels of motivation with existing power and staff. So there's some real benefits, significant increase, uh, sorry, significant implication for reducing your costs is obviously simply not to use the agencies to the same extent. Um, So demand side for us really is about really good permanent recruitment. So we work with clients, for example, to work out, to establish how best to manage their permanent recruitment. So we did a couple of big projects last year with uh, arguably the world's largest online retailer to establish how they had adopted a permanent recruitment process that we could then take and share with social care organizations so they could improve, should they wish to, how they did permanent recruitment. And we were looking at all kinds of things. So not just the permanent recruitment bit, but also the retention piece. So there's one thing being able to bring people into an organization through a permanent recruitment process but actually it's a completely different thing, making sure you keep those people in the organization. And if we can get the perm recruitment bit right and the retention right, we start to address the over-reliance on a temporary labor agency or contingent labor model. So 
let, let's talk a bit about that parent piece and about what we can do to take the hours down. There, there are actually a few things. So one of the key lessons learned from this, this couple of these big programs we did last year was how do we attract a different age demographic? How do we attract perhaps those who are 30 years and younger? Well, if you look at the social care sector at the moment, shift patterns, and, and it, it works for the existing demographic or care workers that we have in the UK, tend to be quite quite long, reasonably long, eight hours, 12 hours, 15, and, and that works well. But if we're trying to attract a different age demographic, we need to start to consider shorter shift patterns or more, more flexible shift patterns. So if you go back to one of the reasons why some care workers prefer to become a temp, working for a temp agency, it is partly because of the flexibility. Of course, it's for a bit more money, but it's partly about that flexibility. So one of the key lessons that we've we've established with our clients is to consider new ways of developing shorter shift patterns and just trialing it, just piloting it, see how it works, and then continuously improving it and learning it. But there has something fundamental has to change, I think, in the approach to um, how we're resource planning, the how we are doing permanent recruitment, something has to change. If we need to take, if we're going to take this temp labor spend down, temp to perms is another area. So under the kind of models that that we lead, we deliver with our clients. After twelve weeks, sometimes thirteen weeks, you can then approach the temp and ask them if they would consider becoming a permanent member of staff. So we call it a temp to perm, and there shouldn't be any fee after twelve or thirteen weeks. That should be a free of charge thing to happen, and that that saves you not just whether it's £1,000, £2,000 for that actual transition, if you're successful, but actually it gives you access to somebody who understands your organization. So there's therefore a higher chance they should stay with you because they understand what they get themselves in for in terms of the job. So there's a temp to perm opportunity. Come back to what I was talking about with the supply side and the information you get from your online timesheet system. It's about taking that data and working out who you can now talk to. So every Monday morning, which temps have now completed 12 or 13 weeks working through an agency that you're now allowed to approach free of charge. And then it's about having those conversations with those individuals about all the benefits of working in social care, the benefits of working for that particular organization and, and re- being really articulate in what, what the great things are about being in the sector to try and um, attract temps to become perms. I think that's really important. I also think bank team optimization is key so what do we mean by that? So banks typically are a group of people, typically employees within a social care organization who have said they would be interested in doing extra hours or extra shifts. They become a bank and the bank should get the first dibs on any requirement for any kind of contingent labor. Now, at the moment today, that typically happened, that tends to be quite a manual process. So it relies on the hiring manager in the care environment, the care the care home, for example, to, to pick up the phone and talk to somebody in the, in the bank team. Go back to the supply side solution that we were talking about and the online timesheet system. Why not hardwire that online timesheet system so that when a request goes into that timesheet system for a temp for a day, the following day, it goes directly to the bank team first. So your full-time, your permanent employees have an opportunity to, to do that shift before it goes to contingent labor. So temp to perm, uh, bank team optimization is a, a, it's a really important thing. And, and in, in our view, we think banks, teams of bank staff is, is increasing. We think there's a lot more opportunity to do more about bank teams in social care, but it's a real opportunity. But then also the simple things like, we call it Monday morning call. So Monday morning call, 
with our client, with ourselves, um, with the operational sides that are struggling to get away from 10% spend. And having that, that high-profile conversation, and it's, it's a conversation around how do we help to remove uh, reliance on contingent labor? How do we help to do more perm recruitment? Then there's also things we can do about rostering systems. So we work with clients to dovetail, to integrate rostering systems with online timesheet systems. So you reduce this double entry of what you need in terms of uh, labor that you haven't got. So rostering systems is a key, can play a really key part to make this much more efficient. Um, but also some basics, going back to basics like resource planning, to how to forecast what actual resourcing is required, and then how much of that gap um, can then be shared with a permanent recruitment team within the social care organization. Because that way you're, you're, you're basically articulating what the need is for perms. Now, it's not as straightforward as just going out to go and uh, recruit, if only it was that simple. But it, this constant sharing of information about what the operational need is and what perm recruitment can do is critically important. And as is the retention piece. So what we've also found with quite a few of our clients is simply throwing money at this problem isn't always the answer. Quite often when you throw money at trying to attract people to come into the world of being a care worker, you might recruit somebody who's motivated by the money uh, more than they might be motivated by delivering the care. Now, if that happens, what we find is that retention tends to suffer. So what we find is someone comes in because they can earn a bit more money or they feel they can earn a bit more money. But the reality is when they work out just how difficult that job is, uh, it can be difficult to retain those individuals. So I think there's a number of actions that care providers can do, and a lot are doing it really well, uh, is that demand side and that supply side. But the critical message for me is it's got to be both. If we can do demand and supply side, uh, you stand a significant chance of having a very successful program. Some excellent ideas there. Thank you so much, Christoph, for sharing them with us. I'm sure that you're going to get some calls off the back of the podcast. So um, just to finish then, um, before we wind up, I always ask our guests one final question, and that is to improve the state of our nation. What one thing would be the biggest game changer for the social care sector? I, I think it's, it's difficult just to say one. Um, and I have thought about this um, this area a lot, as you'd expect. I think funding has a lot to do with some of the challenges that we have at the moment in social care. So I think a, a, a proper review of what the real cost of care is, is, is and, and proper recognition, I think, about how we how we close the gap. I think that, that's got to play a part of this. But I also think the integration of healthcare and social care, I think that's a really important agenda. And if we can increase funding, make more funding available, if we can create a, a, a more successful integration between healthcare and social care at a real macro level, if we can get those two things right, I think we stand a really good chance. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Christoph, for coming onto the podcast today and sharing all your excellent ideas about how we can try to shift the dial on those 165,000 vacancies in, in the social care sector. Carrie, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening in to this month's episode of The State of Our Nation. For more information, please go to www.accesscharity.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at accesscharity1. At a time when the third sector continues to struggle in the face of economic uncertainty, your support has never meant more. 
That's why I would like to take this opportunity to let you know about our cost of living crisis campaign set up to help us provide free legal advice to people in England, ensuring they get the support they're entitled to. To make a pledge, please see the link to our Crowd Justice page in the bio. I hope you will all tune in next month to hear our next exciting panel of guests.